Welcome, I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. so much for joining me for a recorded version of a Trauma Survivors Thrivers podcast. I am your host, Lori Lee Binstock. Unfortunately, we were dealing with some technical issues on Fireside Chat, but we decided to get our guests on recorded, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest is Michael J.E. Berry, a successful musician and trauma survivor. Michael has been diagnosed with a rare disorder, dissociative identity disorder, which is also known as multiple personality disorder. Michael is also the author of Rooftops, a fictional novel that is part fantasy and part magical reality. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. So what pushed you to write the book Rooftop, which, like I said, is part fantasy, part magical reality? Can you describe why you decided to write the book? What pushed you to write the book? I have absolutely no idea. Uh, uh, If uh, I sat down to do a self-catalogue, I haven't got the foggiest. This was one uh, that uh, I, I, I think for a lot of people who had the stay-at-home COVID blues and you thought to yourself oh I've got this time I, I guess what will I do with it uh why don't I write that book I've been planning on writing I actually did so yeah it, uh, I can't say that it was intentional I can say I finished it though which is always good would you say it was therapeutic absolutely so if it was inspired by your life by maybe your childhood, can you describe what your childhood was like? Uh, well, it depends on whose whose opinion you ask. If you if if you ask my opinion, or and I think this is probably consistent for other trauma survivors. I wasn't that bad. <laughs> uh, if you ask the shrink, the shrink says we might want to unpack that a little. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh crikey. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, uh, I had an interesting childhood. So, um, what particular aspect of it is, is, uh, of interest? Well, you focus a lot on trauma in the book, kind of in your childhood, or even though it's not based, it's not a memoir, what sort of traumas did you experience? Because you well, were way, you were diagnosed. In a way, it is a it, you know in a way it is a memoir. And part of the reason that I had to do it in a magical reality way is because uh, that was the safest way of addressing some of the experiences, and also the safest way of addressing what you did to survive and how your mind operated in order to survive. So uh, my diagnosis originally was uh, BPD, mm-hmm. which I thought, oh, that's great. I, you know, we, while claiming the fifth, which we don't have here in Australia, but I, uh, well, I know you guys do over there, I can say that I'm quite likely not to be a serial killer. Uh, but obviously, 
some forms of trauma predispose you to antisocial behaviours. Uh, and uh, when I got better treatment, uh, I found a diagnosis that was more in keeping with uh, what I was experiencing, which in this case was complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And then the DID thing was a little bit of a kicker as far as I was concerned because it was a, it's a whole other subject. So to get uh, to those aspects of trauma, you often have to have uh, the common overlaps that people do, which is, uh, uh, I mean, I, I can speak of it clinically, I guess. I mean, uh, I experienced profound violence, sexual abuse, torture, uh, psychological torture, isolation, uh, you name it. And again, if you're still alive and you're still functional, then, oh, it wasn't that bad. And then when you talk to the shrink, the shrink says, well, uh, yeah, it was. And uh, that's that thing. I, I can't help thinking because I've, I've spent quite some time as a volunteer trauma counsellor and I've listened to a lot of folk. And there's that thing that you do where you think to yourself, well, crikey, thank God I'm not that person. My God, they had it bad. Uh, and in some ways, it's not that you necessarily minimise your own. It's just that your own experiences are things that you're familiar with and you think, wow, um, you, you're not necessarily sure that it was that bad. You speak to other people and they say, wow, that happened, huh? So, uh, yeah, my, my childhood was uh, something that uh, shaped the rest of my life. And uh, I must say, the other day I, I got up at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning and uh, I got to sleep by, by 9am. And it's on days like that when you realise that it's still an ongoing process to survive it and that it may be for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you talk about, you know, it's, it's something that we're used to. It's something that we, you know, that we've shaped us. But if you looked at somebody else and they were, able, they were the ones who described your life happening to them, would you feel the same way? It's a good question. In in my particular case, uh, my abuse was studied in order to make sure that it was never... It was always just below the threshold so that uh, they would avoid... <laughs> that they would avoid the police. Mm. Uh, so I lived in a constant state of absolute terror and I understand because I've, I've had to experience the recovery, you don't get to the healing unless you've, you've had that level of trauma. So I'm, I can appreciate it intellectually. It's just that uh, if you knew the size of the mountain before you climbed it, would you make the attempt? Mm. Yeah. So you you did live in terror. That that that's traumatic to live your whole life with your with your nervous system just in, on high alert. You're vigilant constantly. That's exhausting. The hyper awareness is absolutely exhausting, and it's only been in the last few years that I've been able to sit in a room without checking the exits and entrances. Wow, wow. So then you were diagnosed with BPD. And was that a misdiagnosis, did you say? 
Well, it didn't really describe what was going on. It was uh, uh, eventually after some very bad care and some very unfortunate... Uh, nobody really knew how strong the effect had been, so they... Uh, when I was treated by one particular doctor, he uh, did hypnosis on me, which is contraindicated for DID. And uh, it led to some absolutely horrific outcomes. Wow. And uh, fortunately, later on, I was able to work with a trauma specialist from the Department of Veterans Affairs and they were able to say, put things into perspective for me and show me white papers and other bits of science, which said, look, this is what you're experiencing and why you're experiencing it. And it uh, sort of fell into place. And the thing was with an effective diagnosis or an accurate diagnosis, then came effective treatment. I was able to finally find the, the things that would make a difference in survival. And before that, I had spent so many years with involuntary behaviours and involuntary reactions and all the other things, trying to unpack it, working out exactly what the heck is going on, because the treatments they were giving me weren't sticking. But uh, finally, when I entered into uh, trauma processing, then things began to make more sense. Yeah. That's very interesting, and, and I feel like we don't give credit to alternative therapies like hypnosis. What made you go that route? I did the hypno out of sheer desperation. So I had spent, uh, I, was, I was having, so the, the, the story was I was experiencing freezing, mm -hmm. and that was career limiting. So... I uh, was invited out to uh, a work function and I found myself unable to leave the house. So I went in on the Monday and my boss absolutely blew me up because I hadn't gone off to this work function and I couldn't understand what it was that had kept me from going out. So I went looking for an answer uh, and the freezing which I didn't understand. I just couldn't understand why I wasn't able to physically make myself leave the house. And so while I was looking for that answer, I sought treatment. And when I sought treatment, uh, I was in treatment for 10 years. It wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So I said, uh, what else can I do? I tried a few different therapies and then finally went back to my primary care and said, okay, well, what else can we do? He said, hypno. I said, okay, great, let's try that. Uh, out of absolute desperation. And uh, he said, okay, sit down. I sat down in the comfy chair. He did the little hypno thing. He said, you're safe. The minute he said that, I began screaming and I didn't stop for 10 years. Wow. Wow. And I, look, I actually have a complete clinical understanding of it. I've had to, to get this far. Mm -hmm. In order to survive uh, what I had to survive, the people who were doing what they did to me enjoyed it, which meant that the sooner I grey rocked and stopped showing responsiveness, the faster it stopped. So as a small child, I learned how to suppress my reactions. And of course, 
any strength overused becomes a weakness. And eventually, what I had thought was small periods of dissociation in turn, in fact, turned out to be my entire life. Mm. That I'd had to maintain a semi-permanent dissociative state because that was, there's a direct connection between the dissociation and uh, reduction of physical sensation. So if you're experiencing a physical sensation you don't want to experience, then you can disconnect from your body and uh, it's a useful tool. So when the doctor opened the door, all of the sensation that I had suppressed for all those years came out at once. And I then re-experienced my entire childhood for the next 10 years. And you found that beneficial? No, it was a, uh, it was a form of hell. Mm. But from there, oh. that's when you found what you needed to do next. Is that correct? I don't think this was. Uh, I don't think this was done through wisdom. I think this was just simply accidentally survivable. Um, the ex the experience of what I went through. Uh, the the doctor, he didn't know not to do this, and DID is very poorly understood. Mm. And uh, the way that it's presented in the media is utterly just alien to the experience. And I've done quite a bit of trauma counselling for people with DID. And there's, there are different, uh, there are different uh, flavors, and I subscribe to the uh, other structural disorder school of thought regarding it. So, uh, it's in the case of my doc, he was well-meaning, but what he basically did was instead of trying to let the trauma out in small amounts, he bypassed all of the defensive mechanisms that I'd developed to survive. He opened the door to the raw pain and then it overwhelmed me to the point where it uh, blew me up. That was it. I was, uh, for the next, uh, between about 2012 and about 2020, uh, yeah, it was not good. And was that when you were di diagnosed with DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder? Yeah. What did that look like? In what, in what sense? How did, what, what, what made your doctor say, this is your diagnosis? Uh, the... The circumstances of my upbringing were consistent. My presentation was consistent. So the way that I try to, the way that I, I think of it or I process it is, I view trauma like a train line. The longer you stay on the train, the further you go. So you go through PTSD, through to CPTSD, then CPTSD through to its flavors, all the way through to the end of the line where you wind up in full-blown DID. Now, in my case, I think I have uh, 
a form of it, but it's not the most extreme form because I retain narrative memory. I've never, my memory is uh, acute. So for some experiences of DID, there's a break between the part that remembers and the part that operates. Mm. And in my case, I've never lost the memory. So my variant of the experience is simply that I channeled the emotional and physical responses into a different area of memory and then said, okay, we'll deal with that later. We might just shut that door for a while. Uh, and then in dealing with it, I had some unfortunate treatment and the way that they processed it didn't help me. So in terms of what, if you're asking me, what is the dissociative experience like? Uh, it's fabulous. <laughs> you know, I mean, who, uh, in, in, who wouldn't want to be fearless? Who wouldn't want to be absolutely in times of complete crisis, uh, completely and utterly cold and rational? Mm because uh, every aspect of survival is focused and there's nothing else to think of other than taking care of it. And if you think of it, I think a good way of considering it is, are you familiar with the idea of uh, modes of speech? Um, not, not, not too familiar with that. Can you describe? So... When you're when you're out, you speak informally to people you know. You use different language selections, mm -hmm. and you're probably aware of things like mirroring behaviours. Right. So, in a way, DID is a tool set. It's what do you need to be at the time. That's just a conclusion. Okay. It's a. Uh, it, it's it's uh, adaptive behaviour. Mm -hmm. Just extreme. Right. What would you say that they get wrong? What do they get wrong in the media when it comes to DID, would you say? Or are they accurate? Which I, I can only assume they're not. Uh, hmm. Firstly, it's a lot rarer than it's made out to be. It's significantly less common than it's made out to be in either pop culture or even amongst people who self-diagnose. Uh, and one of the things is, in order to get to that state, you only get there through significant trauma and properly significant trauma. And that's not to gatekeep who experiences what. It just means that whatever your delivery was from Amazon of trauma that day, you got an extra supply. Yeah. And you don't generally get to the other end of the spectrum until you've actually received a few more deliveries than you can handle. So there's not so much... Okay, here's a good example for you in terms of how it manifests for me. Now, I have I have directly challenged the shrinks when they've said, oh, you've got X, Y, or Z. I've said, oh, give me a break. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't call myself Arthur and Bill and Todd and there's not a part of me called Ramtha that's channeling something from Xanadu. It's just that, uh, as uh, my partner will say, if somebody puts me in a circumstance where I fear for my life, my physical posture will change, my voice will change, my mannerisms will change. And as I've learned from it, what I do is I've internalised the monsters that I was raised with. And when circumstances requires it, I become one of them.
So talking about adaptive behaviour, in my experience, DID is very, very strongly adaptive behaviour. But for people who experience the next level beyond where I've wound up, the primary difference is in the management of memory. For me, in order to survive my experiences, I had to remember everything. For others, in order to survive theirs, they need to shut those memories down or put them aside. Yeah. You know, I go through internal family systems therapy, and I don't know if you are familiar with internal family systems yes. therapy. But in, in my opinion, I'm not a doctor. Please don't take that um, as such. But I imagine that is in internal family systems therapy, we have all of these different parts, all these different parts of us that protect us from, you know, certain situations we've dealt with in the past, and then they become kind of part of us. And so there are all, all these different parts that play these different roles and have their own different personalities. And I, that's in my head, this is what I Im- imagine what multiple personality or disassociative identity disorder would look like. Is, would you say that was that that seems about right or? I mean, the, the complex PTSD is simultaneous, lots of different things. I think dissociation is its own different thing. I think it has its own functions. Uh, in terms of uh, the personality stuff. And I think that's probably where it's the, the popular media thing is that somehow you're becoming someone else. Mm-hmm. But no, it's just you're, you are code switching, I believe is the term. It's just that you do, you do it in a completely transformative way. But again, for what they would, for what they would describe DID as for the pop culture variant really they it it would require a loss of memory between systems however uh even for some of the people that i've spoken to there's some leakage between their perceived self and other areas of processing so i mean i think it's my personal belief and again i come back to what you were saying i'm not a doctor either i'm just somebody who's been through some experiences and has an an opinion on my own experiences uh i always view that we're always us so we're always who we are we just manifest in different ways as required to survive and that's what you do Mm, yes absolutely in my case In order to get to the point where you're capable of doing the things that you need to to survive, sometimes you have to become uh, you have to become a certain way. And in my my nature is not necessarily uh, I I don't find myself responding physically to things. Yet in my lifetime, there have been a few occasions where I have been obliged to respond to things physically. And in those cases, that's where it's been a problem for me because I've had to uh, find ways to exert executive control when I'm busy trying to stop somebody from being violent or dangerous. And my commitment to safety is pretty absolute, which means that uh, you don't want to... I'm a fairly uh, physically imposing person 
And if I don't watch myself and I was to become an angry person, I'd do more harm than I intend. And just because I'm scared and I'm absolutely... This is because of my experiences. If somebody enters into the realm of uh, physical violence, I believe them. You know that thing of you, you don't believe they'll harm you? Well, suffice it to say that I take them seriously every time. Yeah. That makes sense. How do you manage it? How do you how do you treat how how do you treat DID and and what does healing really look like for you? Uh, the, the clinically the treatment is the same as uh, CPTSD. Uh, there's a little bit more to it simply because your potato's been in the water longer. <laughs> you, know, you, you need, uh, you know that, that saying that uh, the same water that softens the uh, potato boy, you know, hardens the egg. Mm. Uh, I can I can certainly tell you uh, getting a good diagnosis is critical because then you know what you're dealing with and you're unpacking. And when somebody comes up, and, and in my case, it's been fascinating. They're uh, speaking to one person saying, oh, you know, here's how this works. And then I'd go, okay, it doesn't feel that way to me. And then I'd go to another person, they'd say, here's how this works. I mean, I've had to, I've had to become an expert in my own condition because the condition's so poorly understood in a general sense. What's very good to say is that the things that you would do to treat CPTSD are exactly the same sorts of things that you would do. And uh, you're talking about the family model. That's another of the things that you can do. So, for example, uh, self-soothing. And these are all strategies. So what does, what does healing look like? Healing, healing has some practical aspects of what you can do to reduce the suffering and to... I mean, I view this stuff as an inflammation because I believe... What you, you said at the, uh, at the beginning of the interview, we talked about when you have maintained situational awareness and absolute absolute awareness of everything around you it becomes exhausting and then you have all of the bits and pieces that come with this stuff when you know you know in the full range of fight flight freeze one of the outcomes for me from uh the mismanagement of my care was uh unending panic attack so every day i would have a i would have panic attack after panic attack after panic attack until i would pass out and then after that, I would have the adrenal dump. I'd be completely exhausted because my body's been on emergency alarm. And now, okay, now what? So that's sort of an inflammation. Your body's just completely, just knackered. So what do you do? You self-care. And what do you do for self-care? Every single thing you can. You name it. If it's a hot rock standing on a mound of oatmeal, rubbing my puppy along with singing songs about rainbows, I am up for it. I am down with it because the alternative is less pleasant. And what does healing look like? Healing is choices. I'm having difficulty leaving my house to go to a dinner. Why? And I start looking for what is creating these involuntary reactions. And once 
you start to find out what that is, you start having choices. So, and I'll give you, I'll give you a, I sometimes look at these things as there are lots and lots of different simultaneous things going on. So, so to, to give you a, a different aspect, uh, the idea between reaction and response. So I have a cat and my cat is now 19 years old and the cat is slightly incontinent. On the days when I am reactive and I tread in the cat, whatever has been left around, I will make noises and I will say rude words and I will express a lot of energy. And then I will say more rude words. And on the days that I'm responsive, I will go, oh bugger, the cat missed the litter box again. So for me, being able to choose how I respond rather than having my defensive mechanisms, which are so powerful, so, so powerful, that they will, and so instant, that they will snap on and before anything else happens. So healing means I get the choice of how I respond to something rather than react. And that's, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. For me, that is the same way. I've never, I've never phrased it that way. You know, healing is just, you know, for me, it was getting just better and being able to handle the day, but it's true. It's, I don't have to be so reactive to certain things that control me. Um, so yes, I love the way you phrase that. I think that is just a beautiful way to speak about healing, especially from trauma survivors. Uh, so thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to add? hope I uh, one of the reasons that I uh, do trauma counseling is because as a, a good friend of mine said to me he said it's time for you to give back and one of the things that happened to me when uh, when I went to see Dr. Shepard God bless her and at that point I'd been diagnosed with something I thought I'd have forever and she said to me, no, you, you have trauma. I said, so that means there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And she said, yes. And that was the first time in decades that I'd actually had hope. And if hope is a possibility, that's enough. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Hope it's sometimes well, we I also write hopeless. books, you know, so you can go yeah. read one of those. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I was thank you so much, Michael, for you know, I feel like maybe, maybe because you know, our connection is traveling all the way across the world. Maybe this is why we've been dealing with so many technical difficulties, but I am so glad I was able to get you on and you know we'll we'll put this up but I do want to say you know check out rooftops it's a quick read very fascinating I am so grateful that you were able to 
um, come on and, and talk a little bit about your um, disorder or DID, um, your trauma. Um, but you can also head over to my website, anybody listening, you know, traumasurvivorthriver.com. We'll try to put his book up so it'd be easy, easily there for purchase. He's contributed to several magazine issues, so you can check him out there. And, and November's issue is out, so if you haven't already, um, just subscribe to my email list uh, for Authentic Insider Magazine to get that in your inbox monthly. Um, just go to traumasurvivorthriver.com. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you next week, November 16th, um, back on Fireside Chat when I speak with children's book author Michelle Wagner about how she found purpose through her son, with special needs. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Take care.